0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with the head of the Ohio Association of Food Banks, the director of the Ohio Department of Health, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, talked this week about vaccines for kids under five years of age. Information about that is coming up in less than 20 minutes. Then, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend will present a number of topics. We are taking a closer look at Ohio's
1: Save Women's Sports Act. The details of the bill, meant to block transgender girls from playing on female sports teams, call for an invasive verification check. The high school sports association and medical experts say it's a no for them. And our reporting on an Ohio man accused of running a fake funeral home, while 10 Investigates turns out to be critical to laws being changed.
0: And I'll wrap up the hour talking with the head of the National Education Association about school safety and gun legislation. First up on Columbus Perspective on the phone with me, Lisa Hamler Fugit, who is the executive director of the Ohio Association of Food Banks. How are you?
2: Good. Yourself, Dave?
0: Good. Thanks for talking to us. What is the Ohio Association of Food Banks?
2: The Ohio Association of Food is Ohio's largest charitable response to hunger. We represent the twelve Feeding America food banks and provide food, funding, training, and technical assistance to a network of thirty six hundred member charities. Those are food pantries, soup kitchens, and homeless shelters, serving one in six of our hungry friends and neighbors in the state of
0: Ohio. So when you say that there are twelve of them in Ohio, I'm assuming they're all over the state and how big are these places?
2: Uh, we have large food banks uh, many people that may live in central, Ohio know the mid Ohio food collective They serve Franklin County in the 19 contiguous counties So they're our largest partner to our smallest partner in the food bank in Dayton that serves three counties, including Montgomery County And then we have a number of food banks that serve very rural high need low resourced areas So we're located across the state From uh, Cincinnati to Youngstown and over to Toledo to Cleveland, Lorraine, Dayton, um, Columbus, uh, Logan, and Springfield as well.
0: And uh, so we're well over two years into this since the pandemic. And, uh, you know, we've had just about every kind of complication attached to it as you can have. And they continue to come. And I'm guessing that that's been wildly difficult for you folks. It is, Dave, and and again, the charitable food
2: sector has been on the front line since day one of the pandemic. Um, You know, what a lot of us saw is um, over a million Ohioans lost their job through no fault of their own. We went into lockdown and work from home, Um, and those images of really long lines of cars stretching for miles at food distribution programs were really um you know that that was a pretty visual um, um, piece of what we saw and just the acute nature of the crisis, certainly within the first year of the pandemic. And and we were fortunate to have um, the support of farmers and growers in the United States Department of Agriculture. And really, the federal government response was pretty sweeping to getting us additional resources to help people who, through no fault of their own, lost their jobs and were experiencing the result of the COVID and the pandemic. So as we kind of moved into the second year of the pandemic, and we started to see some aspects of the economy beginning to recover and unemployment began to come down to more of the pre-pandemic levels, we were still experiencing an elevated demand on our system. And that was happening because of some of the, the government responses had begun to to go away um but then at the end of 2021 while we thought things were better you know there was a lot of stimulus that that came out certainly that was helping low-income families the the advanced earned income tax credit uh, as well as the additional snap benefits really helped folks and then Those benefits, unfortunately, the advanced earned income tax uh, credit went away at the beginning of 2022. At the very time, we started to see the the long-term impacts of the pandemic and supply chain issues. The supply chain was brittle uh, during those first two years. It completely broke down this year, and then rapidly rising inflation. Supply chain issues from our donors, our retailers, our manufacturers, existing labor shortages. So what we have seen now is just a mass acceleration of all of these factors, a dramatic increase in the cost of food and fuel for everyone, both us as food banks and individuals, Uh, continuing massive supply chain shortages and disruptions, now inflation, and I have to tell you, I think there's some price gouging going on out there, and now just the impact of climate change and global conflicts is the perfect storm um, that has now beset hungry ohioans and the people that serve them through our food bank food pantry and soup kitchen nation uh, world as we enter now year three of the pandemic
0: talking with lisa hamler fugit she's the executive director of the ohio association of food banks you know we we did a story today about how pet supplies and and uh Mm. food is like eight to 12 percent higher but i'm seeing percentage is a lot higher than that for things like cat food you know and, and that and those kinds of things for the elderly and poor who maybe live alone and have pets that alone can be catastrophic let alone for what they pay for their own food.
2: You're right, and what we know about the nature of seniors is that they be their only companionship, and oftentimes they're sharing their own limited food to feed their pet. Uh, Food banks have been proud of our partnerships to be able to provide uh, pet food and pet supplies, Unfortunately, those donation streams have started to dry up. All of our traditional sources of donated food, whether it be retail, wholesale, food manufacturers, Uh, Local food and fund drives, that has all fallen off sharply, down by some 30% at the same time that we're seeing pretty significant cuts in uh, government funding as well, requiring that food banks purchase more food, grocery items, personal care, and personal hygiene. Last year we were spending, on average, about $0.42 a pound to keep uh, food and personal care and personal hygiene items moving through the system today that's up to a dollar for a pound wow. so we're, we're raising money, but it's only going about half as far as it did last year and then we're suffering from everything else that everyone else is, which it costs more. diesel fuels up by seventy five percent. Um, So we're having to distribute a lot more food into local communities. A lot of our, 75% of our network were faith-based charities. Those were church. Uh, parishes and synagogues that operated food pantries. Uh, churches did not fare well during the pandemic, so they're not able to do their social justice ministries. But you know what we're talking about is the same thing that's impacting every Ohio and every individual every day with low incomes or fixed incomes. Their limited incomes are just not sufficient to be able to stretch to meet their basic needs. Therefore, we're seeing more people at the food bank, food pantry. And- soup kitchen than during the early days of the pandemic.
0: Well, the scary thing, Lisa, is that there seems to be a pretty high expectation of a recession coming or at least a a slowdown. And in fact, uh, the Fed is raising interest rates to try to slow the economy down without breaking it. So tougher times are certainly coming.
2: Yes, and, and we have been we have been uh, forecasting uh, for a while. As we continued to see pretty substantial shortages and supply chain disruptions, we started to see significant increases in input costs. You know, a lot of farmers, growers, and commodity producers that we worked with were telling us they were paying record amounts for feed, for seed, and fertilizer, for fuel. So we were bracing for an increase in that area, but then when we saw our retail, wholesale, and manufacturing partners saying they too, the supply chains were just not straightening out, that we knew that we were going to be in for some uh, unknowns and began to really lift up the issue that we were facing and it was it just felt as though it was accelerating every day it started to work and reach out to the ohio members of the general assembly late in 2021 and we have continued to lift up the Urgent need uh, that we're facing now within the members of the General Assembly as well as the DeWine administration, in a hope that they could provide some critical funding for us so we could continue to make sure that the most vulnerable in our state had access to the food that they needed in order to help weather their storm, uh, their economic storm as well. And you're right, if we see um, a recession on the horizon, we know what happens in a recession in that many people, again, lose their job through no fault of their own.
0: Uh, your uh, organization obviously becomes a little more vocal during, uh, you know, like the, the state budget every two years and, and uh, when federal funding is considered, but this uh, statement of critical need that you put out is a little bit unusual for your, your call for action and for help.
2: Yes, and, and like I said, Dave, we have been trying to to raise awareness and our concerns now for more than six months about what was happening. And while many, um, each I think each and every one of us, want to really put the last two and a half years, now three years, in the rearview mirror and call COVID in the pandemic done, unfortunately, it's not. We live in a global and operate in a global economy, and there were some other unseen conflicts that were on the horizon, including the current Russian invasion of Ukraine that is going to have long-lasting impacts, as well as what we're experiencing today alone, which are the impacts of um, changing climate patterns and um, certainly climate change that are also going to affect the availability of uh, access to food as well. So. Uh, We don't take this lightly, but when I say that my food food banks are now distributing four fewer meals per person than we were a year ago, and this quarter the situation is far worse, we need help and we need help now.
0: Uh, I know that uh, people can also give through your website, but is the is the majority of your funding does it come through government agencies and through you know churches and, and the like or what?
2: It has always come from a variety of sources, and I think that's the big shift, Dave, that we're seeing right now. The traditional sources, whether it be the private sector through donations of, as I said, retail, wholesale, manufacturing, local food and fund drives, that's not there. It's fallen off dramatically because there isn't any more surplus. And individuals who are always generous start to pull back when they're seeing their budgets stretched as well. Um, So, again, with our federal commodities are down substantially because the federal government is also uh, dealing with the same thing that, that we're dealing with, and the money that we are raising isn't going as far because we're paying more than twice as much for food that we were just a year ago. So we need more help. We hope that this is temporary in nature, but we are also calling not just on the state of Ohio, but also our congressional delegation to make sure that Congress prioritizes the highest prioritization that we cannot allow hunger to increase to the levels that it did throughout the pandemic and that we know that children are at greatest risk of hunger especially during the summer months which is what we're dealing with now as well as our seniors who are always the last to show up and they are now showing up in record numbers because their limited incomes derived by social security just isn't enough to keep a roof over their head food on their table and their life-sustaining medication
0: just a moment or so to go here with Lisa Hamler Fugit, executive director of the Ohio Association of Food Banks. The plea for help from Congress, uh, is that impacted at all by, you know, we're, we're going into the midterm elections here very near. Uh, does that have any effect on on the chances of legislation like that?
2: Well, we're you know, we're gearing up for the Farm Bill, certainly. There are a lot of competing interests. Um, and the other thing that I have to give Congress um, credit for is that they have done three different uh, COVID relief packages, the latest being the American Rescue Act plan that gave generous funding to states and local communities to help address the needs of those who were most impacted as a result of COVID and that was to help them recover. And, uh, again, the state is in a situation where it has, um, it has the resources, meaning it has billions of dollars of additional uh, assistance that could be directed into helping hungry Ohioans, and that's what we're asking for consideration on. And an investment, a modest investment of $50 million to allow us to be able to purchase food and personal care items to make sure that when our hungry friends and neighbors turn to a food bank, food pantry, or soup kitchen, there's going to be food available for them.
0: All right. Lisa Hamler-Fugit, Executive Director, Ohio Association of Food Banks. If uh, folks want to help out or just find out more about your organization, where can they find it, Lisa? Thanks
2: so much. Dave, they can visit our website at www.OhioFoodBanks.org to find out more of it, information. They can also find a local agency if they need food assistance, especially during this power outage that we've uh, encountered. A lot of Ohioans have lost all of their food. Or they can call the association at 1-614-221-4336. And again, looking for your time, your talent your treasure or your advocacy on our behalf you know this is an all-in fight and we need everyone uh, in this fight both individuals the state and usda and congress we need our partners and supporters so we can make sure that we can achieve a state where no one goes hungry
0: and i did want to ask you real quick as we wrap up here the volunteer level has it returned since the pandemic has uh, quieted down a bit Uh no, unfortunately
2: has not. Um, and a lot of that has to do with people are still concerned about variance um, exposure. We are still limiting the number of volunteer sites to encourage social distancing. But the big thing right now for our volunteers is the cost of gasoline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're reluctant to, to make any additional trips because it's costing much more to put gas in their car just for the essentials
0: difficult getting hit from all different directions. Uh, Lisa, thanks so much for your time, and, uh, and good luck with your efforts on trying to improve the situation. Thank you, Dave.
2: Really appreciate your interest in this, and again, encourage your listeners to get involved.
3: Thanks for listening.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. On Thursday of this week, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, held a news conference to talk about new developments in vaccines for the youngest of Americans, those under age five. This runs about five and a half minutes. Here's Dr. Bruce Vanderhoof.
4: As we've discussed before, since the beginning of our experience with COVID-19 two plus years ago, developing and providing effective vaccines has been a cornerstone of the effort to protect us against this virus. The first vaccines became available in December 2020, and throughout 2021, vaccines gradually were approved for almost all age groups. The one group that has still been waiting has been our youngest children, those less than five years of age, and now the Vaccine Advisory Committee to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration voted unanimously to recommend approval of Pfizer's application for a vaccine for those ages six months through four years old and Moderna's application for a vaccine for those ages six months through five years old. The CDC has acted in concert with the FDA. In anticipation of this, Ohio's enrolled vaccine providers have begun placing orders for these vaccines and the first deliveries are expected on Monday. The state has a robust network of vaccine providers, so parents will have many options to access these shots. Providers, including pediatricians, family physicians, hospitals, pharmacies, local health departments, and federally qualified health centers are in that mix. Now, I know that some parents have been eagerly waiting for this approval. The FDA had scheduled a meeting in February to consider Pfizer's application for this age group before postponing the meeting to await further data from clinical trials. The fact that this process has taken some time is a reaffirmation of the seriousness and the scientific discipline of our approval process and a reassurance that the approval has not been rushed or based on incomplete data. The Pfizer vaccine for this age group is a three-shot series. The second dose can be taken three weeks after the first and the third dose two months after the second. Each dose contains one-tenth the amount of vaccine that is included in the adult dose. The Moderna vaccine is a two-shot series, and the second dose can be administered at least four weeks after the first Each dose contains a quarter of the adult dose. Now, the time appears to have arrived and parents, of course, can start by consulting their child's physician or other professional provider who will be best able to advise parents about this vaccine. For some parents the timing may coincide with their child seeing their pediatrician or family physician before the start of the school or preschool year. And perhaps the COVID-19 vaccine can be administered as a part of updating their child's overall vaccine series. Now I'd like to emphasize how important it is for children to stay up to date with all of their recommended vaccines. And of course, Some vaccines are required in order to attend Ohio schools. Now, vaccines protect us against preventable, communicable diseases. In recent years, a slight drop in vaccination rates among our children has led to several outbreaks, like measles, that, again, are vaccine-preventable illnesses. Vaccines for our children include shots for hepatitis A and B, diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis in a vaccine known as the DTAP vaccine, measles, mumps, and rubella, known as NMR, varicella, which is also known as chickenpox, and meningitis. Now, it's true that statistically, at least, COVID-19 has had a less severe overall impact on our youngest children when compared with other age groups. Children from birth through four years old comprise about 6% of our population nationally, but have accounted for about 3.3% of overall cases. They also are underrepresented in the rate of hospitalizations and deaths. Nevertheless, nationwide, there have still been about 2.5 million COVID-19 cases in babies and toddlers, and tragically, nearly 450 deaths among those less than age five. Now in Ohio, 79,000 cases have been reported in this age group with about 1,500 hospitalizations and tragically 10 deaths. So it's important to remember that our youngest children can still fall seriously ill with this virus.
0: That's again Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, the director of the Ohio Department of Health, from Thursday of this week. (laughs) This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
1: Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. We start with a look at the push to tighten the nation's gun laws after a pair of mass shootings in New York and Texas. The U.S. House passed the Protecting Our Kids Act, which would raise the minimum age to buy semi-automatic rifles to 21 and limit magazine sizes, among other things. Well, the House approved a red flag law designed to keep guns away from people considered a danger to themselves or others. Ahead of the votes, Ohio Representative Jim Jordan called the proposals a direct attack on the Second Amendment.
5: They want to take away people's Second Amendment rights. And Mondaire Jones, a colleague of ours, said in the committee hearing last week, if this bill doesn't pass, we will end the filibuster, we will expand the Supreme Court, we will do whatever it takes to get people's Second Amendment rights uh, limited. The hodgepodge piece of legislation that's on the floor today, a combination of six uh, bills, um, in short, tells Americans, law-abiding American citizens, when they can buy a firearm, what kind of firearm they can get, and where and how they have to store it in their own darn home. Direct attack on Second Amendment rights. The legislation on the floor tomorrow, as Richard uh, mentioned, this red flag legislation is so dangerous I mean, the idea that someone who doesn't like you can file a complaint, within 24 hours there is a hearing, you're not allowed to be at that hearing, you're not allowed to confront your accuser, and they can take away your Second Amendment rights is as wrong as it gets.
1: The House votes were largely along party lines. The Democrats pushed for their Republican colleagues to unite on this issue.
6: The overwhelming consensus of our caucus, of gun safety advocates, and of the American people, is that getting something real done on gun violence is worth pursuing, even if we cannot get everything that we know we need. The work of curing our nation of mass shootings will continue well after this debate concludes. But at this moment, we have a moral obligation to try for real progress, because taking tangible steps to reduce gun violence is critically important.
7: We cannot continue to be the only country in the world where we let gun violence happen again and again and again. I was very proud of the bipartisan work that was done uh, to pass this legislation. Of course, we're prayerful about what the Senate may come up with and are eager to hear what that is and to work together with them uh, to turn it into the law of the land to protect the children. It's always, as I say, of, by, and for the children.
1: Ohio's gun law, Senate Bill 215, takes effect, which allows concealed carry without a license. But the Franklin County Court of Common Pleas and the Franklin County Sheriff's Office sent out a warning that guns are still not allowed in courthouses. Under the new law, you won't need a permit or training to concealed carry a handgun, but you will need to be 21 or older and legally allowed to carry. And you won't have to promptly inform a police officer if you have a gun. $58 million is going to cities across Ohio. Governor Mike DeWine says the goal is to cut down on crime and violence.
8: Every weekend uh, in cities across this state, uh, we are seeing young people who are getting shot.
1: The money will go to law enforcement agencies over the next few months. The governor says those agencies will decide how to spend their money. But above all, the governor says... Focus should be on locking up repeat offenders of violent crime.
8: You can't live up to your full potential if the place where you live is a shooting gallery and where guns are being shot all the time and you worry about your kids being out on the street. That's wrong. These People, people have a right to live in their neighborhoods.
1: More than $600,000 of that grant money will go to the Whitehall Police Department. We did contact the department. They said they are going to use the money to buy three new radio consoles. They say their current radios are old, and if they go down, people won't be able to reach them.
0: They
3: don't make the uh, consoles anymore. So if, if something goes wrong, there's no parts. We can't call up the company and, and say, uh, send us a part. Uh, we've actually been buying used parts off eBay, and that's a uh, hit or miss. We don't know if the the parts are going to work when we get there.
1: Then investigates is producing action after our extensive reporting on an Ohio man accused of running a fake funeral home laws are being changed senate bill 224 makes several changes to the current law regarding funeral processionals disposal of cremated remains and record keeping but most importantly it gives the director of the state board of embalmers and funeral directors the authority to investigate and prosecute people who provide unlicensed funeral directing services or operate funeral homes without a license this push Closes a loophole in the current state law we exposed while reporting on Shante Harden. Harden is awaiting trial after being indicted on 37 charges late last year. Lawmakers say this legal push should put others on notice.
7: Your days of being able to steal and to prey on foreign people are numbered. So you know, leave our state, leave, in effect stop doing this because
9: what? folks are doing is what, what I think one of the most evil and vile things to do to, uh, to a family.
1: Esther's law went into effect in Ohio about two months ago. That law allows families to install cameras inside of resident rooms. It was named after Esther Piskor, whose son put a hidden camera and captured this video you see here showing that she was being abused. But are these cameras helping families? 10TV's Olivia Eugenio spoke with one family who says even though there is a law, they believe their camera captured their loved one being mistreated by a staff member.
10: This is Sandra Duffy.
6: 76, going on 77 this year.
10: She lives at an Ohio nursing center and can't move from her bed. Her son, John Whitwer put this camera in her room back on March 24th, the day after Esther's law went into effect. This video is from March 25th. Whitwer says he believes it shows a worker at the facility using unnecessary force to move his mother, and he shared it with 10TV. I'm looking at this, I'm like, what? I'm trying to hit the button to cuss back hey you i'm watching you you know what i mean and i'm just amazed that this has happened whitworth says the facility eventually took the camera from his mother's room telling him he didn't follow their guidelines but the camera was returned after he says he called police and was able to put it back with no changes This is the entirety of Esther's law. It's three pages and outlines the simple rules for the camera. But advocates say it leaves a lot about the cameras up to interpretation.
4: There are gray areas in this law.
10: The law says the cameras need to be in a fixed position, that the cost of maintaining the camera other than the electricity must be paid for by the resident or family, that residents with roommates must get their permission to use a camera. Pete Van Runkle is the executive director of the Ohio Healthcare Association. He says the association has done several training sessions to teach nursing facilities about the law. He says initially there were issues about what types of cameras may be used and how they should be installed, but those complaints haven't been happening recently.
4: They can um, require, if they, if they wish, uh, that, the, uh, that the person who's requesting the camera fill out a form uh, or you know, provide some kind of documentation. Um, you know, essentially providing consent.
10: But for families, they're looking for a simple process to make sure they're looking out for their loved ones.
4: It's up to us
8: to take care of our loved ones, monitoring devices, to pay for it, whatever it takes. Not them to dictate it. So that's where I'm at with it.
1: And again, that was Olivia Eugenio reporting. She spoke with the administrator where John Whitworth's mother lives. She did not want to comment on video, but did say there was a full investigation. Olivia asked if an employee was fired. She said no. Since no one was disciplined, we are not naming that nursing home. Ohio families who use WIC will have more baby formula options. Governor Mike DeWine announced that WIC will cover eight more Infamil products, including formulas for babies with sensitive stomachs. DeWine says this is part of the state's plan to help families.
8: We're asking the president to remove some of the red tape involved in importing safe formula for other countries, and we're requesting an after-action report, after this crisis is over, to learn how we can better avoid shortages like this in the future
1: and the governor says the state is also working to make it easier for families to get a prescription for specialty formula Next month, a new law will be in effect in our state that allows people to set off fireworks. But not every city is on board with this. In fact, this past week, Columbus City Council voted to keep its ban of fireworks in place. This comes after House Bill 172 was passed, allowing consumer-grade fireworks to be set off on private property. The city of Worthington did the same thing. City Council there voted to ban fireworks within the city, again, just like Columbus. Legislation related to student athletes could put any child at risk of an invasive exam. Our children
10: deserve better than this. They deserve to feel safe in Ohio.
1: We took concerns about House Bill 151 directly to the lawmakers behind it.
0: Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. This is Columbus Perspective on the fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. It's
9: horrific, outright, disgusting legislation that threatens the physical and emotional well-being of Ohio's children. Ohio's? House Democrats are calling out their
1: colleagues claiming a bill the Republicans just passed could harm all of Ohio's children. We are talking about House Bill 151, focusing on transgender student athletes. If there's a question about gender, the bill would require the physical exam of a child's genitalia. 10TV's Brittany Bailey has a closer look. These are the tools of the trade we normally think of in school sports,
11: but some are worried this also could become the norm. You can see
7: that this needs to be put in and opened in such a manner that it can create a lot of discomfort to the patient.
11: That's a speculum, and it's what's used to examine the female genitals. And it could be used on school-age girls across our state if a proposed bill becomes law.
2: Legally
7: forcing children... To undergo medically unnecessary genital inspections and internal exams to place force is horrifying. And I have been doing this all my life. I'm appalled that the Ohio House Republicans passed this bill.
11: House Bill 151, also called the Save Women's Sports Act, passed the Ohio House June 1st, the first day of Pride Month. But it's the language within the bill that is sending shockwaves throughout the state and beyond. If a student athlete's gender is disputed, the athlete would have to undergo an internal and external genital exam and take a blood test to prove genetic makeup. Democratic leaders hosted a press call about
10: this. This extreme legislation, which which would require children to have genital exams to play high school sports, is nothing short of state-sanctioned sexual abuse. This bill is about all children.
9: Every child can um, be um, subject to genital inspection because a stranger questions that they are not a true girl or boy.
11: The sponsor of the bill is Representative Don Jones. He provided 10TV a statement saying the Save Women's Sports Act is a fairness issue. Most parents would agree girls should be able to compete in sports against other girls, not biological males. Senate President Matt Huffman criticized the House for passing that legislation as a last-minute floor amendment and said the Senate may act differently on its own legislation, Senate Bill 132.
4: I think it's a bad way to to change policy. Um, something that is a lot of people are are interested in. And so, you know, we have a bill over here, uh, and I think we'll probably move that bill um, when we have time to properly vet.
2: No matter
11: the chamber, House Democrats are clear in their message. To
9: our Republican colleagues, we say our children's genitalia are none of your business.
1: And again, that was Brittany Bailey reporting. We did ask Governor Mike DeWine if he would sign the bill if it comes to his desk. Here's what he said
8: we got to look at the language. we got to see what the bill does. Again, we want to be a welcoming state to everyone. We also want to be a fair state.
1: This is all happening during Pride Month. For many parents, talking about LGBTQ plus issues with their children is difficult. One parent group in Upper Arlington is working to make those conversations, they say, easier. 10TV's Brian Somerville talked with two families about understanding and acceptance
3: happy healthy safe alive everything else is just noise it's why this mother wanted to sit down
9: because people shouldn't be afraid to be who they are and talk people shouldn't have to walk around on eggshells everybody else just to be able to express themselves
3: Erin Bonnell says for her 10 year old transgender daughter it started early five six years old wanting to wear tutus wanting to wear makeup Harmless until it wasn't.
9: It started becoming tantrums and meltdowns, and talking about wanting to harm herself.
3: She would call herself worthless, stupid. She went to counseling. Then an idea, Aaron says, began to grow organically. That Willow identified as a girl.
9: She's asked me, you know, after certain appointments or whatever. She's like, "Mommy, do you wish I was still a boy?" I'm like, "I don't care. Are you happy? Are you healthy? Are you safe? You're alive? Then you you are what you are."
3: You are what you are. A simple statement, a very complex understanding.
10: I think the reason why that language is even happening and those opinions are happening is because of the binary that that is there, that has been in humanity forever.
3: Jillian Maruskin is another mother. Beside her is Alex.
10: It's really nice to know that there are people who see me.
3: Alex is 15, going to be a sophomore at Upper Arlington High School in the fall. Alex identifies as a transgender male.
10: I haven't been misgendered. Nobody's questioned my name. As far as they know, they just think, oh, that's Alex. They might have been born a girl, but they're Alex.
3: A person, a being who one day would like not to introduce himself as Alex, the transgender, but Alex, the boy who likes dogs and cats.
10: People who we hang out with don't define us Mm -hmm. as people. Mm -hmm. We're not just the kids who like to draw or the kids who play music or the kids who play sports or, like, you know, anything else. We're all humans.
3: Just this past weekend, Maruskin and Bonnell, two driving forces behind Rainbow UA, helped to put on a parade, a safe place specifically aimed at teens and young people also a voice.
10: I think this is a huge step for Upper Arlington. Alex
3: himself. He says he knows not every LGBTQ youth walked his same path. In the world, there's hate, there's fear, but also there's hope. Hope to not need to be labeled. Hope to just
9: be. I want her to be able to be proud of who she is.
3: Hope that years from now, when Alex, when Willow are adults and parents themselves, they can continue. To Does live happen. in a world
9: happy, healthy, safe, and alive
3: where everything else That's it. is just noise. In Upper Arlington, Bryant-Somerville, 10TV News.
1: All month, NTV tv is honoring your pride messages. Send us a picture of you, your family, your friends celebrating Pride Month. Tell us what Pride Month means to you. Send it in a text and we will share your message right here on 10 TV. Right now, a group of Ohioans says it's working to make our state a safer place for everyone. All in for Ohio is a team of policy and communication experts looking to address the gap between race and class. They met, urging other people to join the fight in making Ohio a less divisive state.
8: The current function in Ohio value some Democratic voices more than others. The current function in Ohio disenfranchises many of her citizens by the way that they are taxed.
1: All In For Ohio says its goal is to show what it looks like to lead a like-minded group, regardless of where you live or the color of your skin. In just a matter of days, sports betting in Ohio will take a step forward.
12: It's going to be the largest expansion that gambling of gambling that Ohio has ever seen.
1: And this move could mean big things for Ohio taxes. We'll take a look at the current landscape and what lies ahead.
2: When times get dark, we can't see the help that's all around us. Maybe you're not sure how you'll make rent or you lost your job. When you don't know where to turn, let 211 be your guiding light. Our guides are ready to connect you with the help you need.
7: 2 how can
6: I help you?
2: Call or visit 2 one get
3: connected, get help.
2: A message from United Way and the Ad Council.
3: You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers.
9: For your teen's music taste.
3: For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you.
9: For the first time, they call you mom.
3: You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward.
9: To learn more about adopting a teen, visit adoptuskids.org.
3: Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.
10: We have the world at our fingertips, inspiration in our touch, and power in our hands. Right here, in our hands, we have the power to save a life. If you see a teen or adult suddenly collapse, call 911 and push hard and fast in the center of the chest. The power is in your hands. Anthem Foundation is the proud national supporter of the American Heart Association's hands-only CPR campaign.
11: Unused prescription
1: opioid pain medicines can spell trouble. Safely dispose of opioids before they can hurt your family. Find a drug take-back option such as medicine drop boxes. Visit
10: www.fda.gov drug disposal. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. It, it,
10: it was worth
3: the wait.
1: That was former Ohio State Senate President Larry Ophoff. He was officially honored with a new portrait in the State House. The event was delayed because of the COVID 19 pande- pandemic, but Ophoff says he was more than honored to gather with lawmakers again. Well, this week, Ohio will start accepting applications from casinos, bars, or app companies interested in being involved in sports betting. Ohio's expansion into sports gambling is expected to eventually grow into a $3 billion industry, generating millions in tax money for the state each year. But Ohio is late to the game. Chief investigative reporter Bennett Haberly takes a look at the current landscape and what's ahead.
6: Indiana legalized sports betting in 2019, meaning the state next door has been collecting money for years off sports bets being placed inside casinos or on smartphones. Sports wagers in Indiana totaled $360 million in April. That's $2.7 million in tax revenue for the state of Indiana for that month alone. Take a look at this. Indiana, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia have all legalized sports betting. All have taken in additional tax revenue, millions each year. Ohio will soon join the fold in January of 2023, leaving Kentucky as the lone outlier surrounded by other states that have expanded gambling to include sports gaming. It's not for lack of trying. Kentucky State Representative Adam Caning sponsored a bill in the Kentucky legislature that would have legalized it there too. But the bill failed.
8: So we are effectively uh, surrounded uh, just like we are with with uh, casinos with the exception of Tennessee. Um, but for God's sakes, Tennessee doesn't even have uh, the lottery or charitable gaming, and, and they have sports back. So it's really a no-brainer.
6: Not enough lawmakers supported it, he said, which means... Oh. In a state with a rich history of wagers on horse racing, Kentuckians won't be able to bet on other sports, meaning additional tax dollars, won't flow into state coffers
8: but it was largely based upon the the american gaming association's estimates years ago that uh two billion dollars was wagered illegally in kentucky on sports every
6: year two you said two billion with a b i did wow yes Wagering on professional or college sports here in Ohio won't start until January 1st. Ohio is expected to lose out on millions by not starting sooner. But Jessica Franks with the Ohio Casino Control Commission says her agency needs that time to process the applications, complete inspections, and ensure other compliance.
10: So we know people are very excited about it, but again... We need we need the time that we need in order to make sure that we're doing this uh, appropriately and to meet all the very strict and detailed requirements that were laid out in um, the sports gaming law. Despite the
6: positive news about the additional revenue for the state, there are some who would argue that Ohio's expansion into sports gambling should be closely monitored and the expectations to some degree
12: tempered. It's going to be the largest expansion that gambling, of gambling that Ohio has ever seen, and it's the large, largest expansion of sports betting that any other, other state has done. So that aspect certainly gives me pause as to what this new wave might look like and who might be impacted by it.
6: Derek Longmire is with the Problem Gambling Network of Ohio. His group is not opposed to expansion of sports gambling, but he says individuals need to monitor their own habits, and there's data to suggest there could be cause for some concern.
12: We know from our statewide data, um, the last survey conducted in 2017, that of Ohioans who gamble about 1 in 10 will develop a problem or or are at risk for developing a problem. When we look specifically at sports betting, that goes from 1 in 10 to about 1 in 4.
6: Longmare told me in Michigan calls to the state's gambling helpline tripled once sports betting became legal. The ease of access with online betting, he says, could be a factor.
12: So for whatever reason, sports betting has a much higher propensity for um, problematic behavior. So we want to make sure that people really are aware of what that impact can be.
6: Ohio's bet that the expansion into sports gaming will draw in $24 million in tax revenue each year. In Columbus, Bennett Haverly, 10TV News.
1: Applications for those interested in being involved in the expansion of Sports Gaming can submit their applications. The state has a list of more than 500 interested parties, from casinos to sports betting apps to bars, all of which are expected to participate. Well, we certainly thank you for joining us here on Face the State today, and we wish you a great week.
0: That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10TV. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Becky Pringle, who is the president of the National Education Association. How are you? I'm I'm good, Dave. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, Tell us uh, quickly what the National Education Association is.
7: The National Education Association is uh, 3 million teachers and nurses, counselors, bus drivers, faculty who join together to advance public education in this country and to ensure that every single student has what they need and they deserve.
0: And obviously, with uh, what happened in Uvalde, Texas, recently, uh, yet another uh, major school shooting, uh, that's foremost on your mind, I'm sure.
7: It is, Dave. I testified before Congress, and the question they asked me is, what is it we need? And my answer is, we need comprehensive gun legislation passed right now. That's what we need. We have been fighting for that for years and saying not one more time, not one more time, and here we are, Evalde, Texas, where we lost 19 babies and two sisters. So we are continuing to demand that this comprehensive gun legislation that the majority of Americans support. We're just we're talking about banning assault rifles. We're talking about making sure that guns are stored properly, we're talking about uh, making sure there are no loopholes in background checks, we're talking about making sure that we have red flag laws so that we flag those people that are extreme danger to themselves or others. Those are the things we're asking for and most people support them, only a few elected uh, uh, officials are standing in the way of that. That is what we're demanding and we won't stop.
0: Well, the House has passed uh, raising the age limit and also banning higher capacity magazines, but that's not expected to pass in the Senate. They're looking at different measures, and, and it's, it's looking more and more like Republicans may take control of the House in the fall, which means that the window of opportunity here is not not very long. It doesn't seem.
7: Well, we applaud the House for protecting the, for for passing the Protecting Our Students Act. Um, and we know that it is an uphill battle in the Senate. We know that there are a few senators who, from both sides of the aisle who are coming together and trying to reach some kind of compromise because our message is do something, do something, do something now. We know we need a comprehensive laws. All of those together will, will make our schools safer, but we need to do something now. And so we stay hopeful and will continue to call our members of uh, our senators to demand that they support some form of gun reform right now so our students are safe when they go back to school.
0: Talking with Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association, what about the issue of arming teachers? Uh, What does the association think about that?
7: Oh, my, overwhelmingly, as you can imagine, our teachers and all of our educators reject that notion. Our our educators are already standing in the gaps for our students because of the inequities that have been built in every social system in this country that has them coming to school without the resources and support that they need so they can learn every day. And now they're asking for us to arm ourselves and be responsible for protecting our students against an assault rifle by the time someone shows up with a military weapon. It's already too late. We know that. Professionals couldn't stop it. And so, for members of Congress to even begin, or legislators, to talk about putting that responsibility on teachers, we know what that is. That is trying to distract us from demanding what we know they should do, from them taking their responsibility to act. We will not be distracted and we will not stop showing up and rallying and marching and speaking up and demanding, and we will vote in November and hold them accountable.
0: What about the uh, idea of maybe more heavily enforced doors uh, and more limited access uh, and better security, maybe uh, metal detectors, that type of thing in schools?
7: Dave, I want you to think about what kind of environment uh, that creates for our students, what message it tells our students that we're going to put them in a prison And that's how we're going to keep them safe. Of course, as we always done throughout the years, we'll take whatever measures um, we at at schools need to take uh, to keep our students safe. But to think about fortifying our schools and that's the answer, instead of preventing assault weapons from coming into our, being in the hands of people who shouldn't have them, or why do we need assault weapons at all? Those are the things that we need to focus on instead of putting our students in a prison where the environment that they're learning in is not conducive to happy and healthy and safe and nurtured children.
0: What is your message for kids and their parents who, uh, you know, when when school resumes in the fall, may be afraid to go back into the classroom?
7: I know, um, you know, my daughter-in-law called right after the shooting, and she said, Mom, I don't, I don't want to send Carter back. That's my grandson. And I understood that. I, 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 was, very, I was very afraid for him as well. Um, 23 years ago, I was in my middle school classroom when the shooting in Columbine took 12 students' and uh, lives and, and one teacher. And the students then, 23 years ago, asked me the same question, Mrs. Pringle, are we safe? Are we safe to come back to school tomorrow?" And I did the same thing the teachers did in Uvalde and all across this country. They told their students that the adults in that building would do everything they could to keep them safe, but we know that without common sense gun laws, we are hampered in that ability to keep them safe. So what I'm saying to the students, and by the way, the students are standing up and saying, demanding that the adults in our system protect them. So I'm asking everyone who's listening, Dave, to join our movement and to join the March for Our Lives, go to marchforourlives.org and join us. And we have marches all over this country. So please come out and lift up your voice with the students who are demanding common sense gun legislation right now, that we will get something done by the time they come back to school.
0: How big of an issue is bullying in all this? You know, uh, we had uh, 10 years ago in in Ohio, we had a a school shooting at Chardon High School in the Cleveland area. That was a a student who had been bullied. Uh, This situation in in Texas reportedly was uh, this 18-year-old had been bullied in school. There seems to be a, a, a major theme going in that type of thing.
7: So that's this is this is not new, Dave. This is chronic bullying has been around forever, um, and we at the NEA have have been calling for the kinds of investments and support to ensure we have enough mental health professionals in every school, counselors and nurses, uh, people who have been trained to assist our students, especially after this pandemic when we've seen so many of our students uh, with. with Uh, challenges around emotional and social social learning um, and mental health. So this is not new. What's new is the ability to have an assault weapon and take so many lives. It took four minutes to take 14 students' lives and three staff members in Parkland. Four four minutes, four minutes, two minutes in Buffalo to take 10 people's lives. That's what's different, and that's what we need to ensure That we don't lose sight of what must happen in this country. The laws that must be passed to protect not just our students, but our communities, all of us, all of us, from that kind of carnage.
0: Talking with Becky Pringle, president of the National Education Association. Anything else you'd like to add?
7: I just want to encourage people to remember that we, the people, have the power. The majority of us believe that we should have common-sense, comprehensive gun legislation in this country. And we have to hold our elected officials accountable to pass laws to do just that. So please do not stop fighting. Please join our movement. Please continue to lift up your voice and demand better for our students.
0: Becky, thanks so much for your time today.
7: Thanks, Dave. Stay safe.